Hello everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Game Point Pod. My name is Fata, and as always, I got my guy Yazin in the house. What's happening, bro? You know, normally you start this podcast uh, every week, uh, and, and you do a good job of it, a great job. Um, but, you know, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the reins from you this week. I feel it's appropriate. Uh, so, welcome everyone to the Game Point Podcast. Uh, my name is Yazin, and I have with me my co-host, Fatah. Fatah, how are you doing today? Oh no, you did it! No, you did what was that? Oh man, uh, it's kind of hard being on the other side of uh, of a losing cause. So I don't know what to tell you at this point. But why do you got to put me on the spot like that, man? You know, it's just it's a great it's a great day uh, in the NBA. Like LeBron James said, you know, the NBA is a better place when the Knicks are good. So it's, uh, it's a pretty good time to be alive right now, my friend. Pretty good time to be alive. Oh boy, oh boy, yeah. No need to discuss this right now. We got a whole time slot allocated to talk about this absolute mess. But anyways, there's a lot that we need to get into. Let's just get the show on the road. I'm going to keep it humble, so I'm kindly asking to drop the beat. So on this week's segment of Run That, we will unfortunately talk about the Knicks extending their win streak to nine games as they defeat the Toronto Raptors in their Saturday matinee matchup. Julius Randle led the way with 31 points and 10 rebounds, and RJ Barrett contributed with a 25-point effort in the win. The Knicks are rising as they now stand fourth in the East, and the Raptors are going in the quite the opposite direction as they have their four-game winning streak snapped, and now there are 1.5 games behind the final playing spot. With all that being said, we saw enough of a sample size right now. Are the Knicks the real deal? And if so, how far do you think this team will go this year? Yes, and I'll pass that over to you since you got the dub. And I turn a six upside down. It's a nine now. Yo, that's nine now. disrespectful. As in nine in a row. Nine dubs. Rack them up. Count them up. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. That's right. Nine dubs in a row. Two of them came at the expense of the Raptors. Thank you very much. Uh, what can I say? This team is on fire right now. Uh, I don't know what happened start to start this whole uh, win streak. I mean, they were disrespected heavily. Uh, they lost a lot of really close games, a lot of bad teams uh, recently. And they were kind of falling back uh, behind the pack a little bit. And then Julius Randle and, and RJ Barrett just said, you know what? That's it. Like, I'm done. I am done with the disrespect. I'm done with guys calling us out. And they have come out and just just played phenomenally. I mean, these two guys alone have, have put up amazing numbers. Julius Randle, you, we, you and I kind of watched the game and we're texting each other the whole time. He was on another planet against the Raptors on Saturday uh, afternoon. It, it just... His... They're getting double teamed, chucking up threes, and normally I'd be like, "Oh my god, no! What are you doing?" But with with King Julius right now, listen, let, let him do it. Let him let him cook. Let him let him shoot what he wants to shoot. He was on fire from three, something that was never really in his repertoire uh, before he got to the Knicks. Uh, That's what you know, I'm saying, though. Like it's just like. He's not known as a three-point shooter, but all of a sudden, he's, like, making 60% of his three-point shots against the Raptors. And to me, just watching the way Julius Randle's been playing, it was just, like, a personal vendetta against me. I'm pretty sure he probably heard this podcast 
disrespecting his family name, calling him Rulius Jandal, and he just took it. He just took it on, man. That's I don't know. It just d- didn't make sense to me. It just didn't make sense to me. Anyway, continue. He's a new person. He's a new person. Uh, and you, you kind of asked me. You're like, what? Where is this coming from? And and I, I told you. I, I sent you back a couple words. I said the Kobe effect. Uh, everyone keeps repeating this story with him and Kobe Bryant. How when he was back in the Laker days, they had gone to play Dallas, where where Julius is from. Uh, and he and Julius was like, oh, you know, I'm just gonna go hang out and see family. You know, as soon as they arrived, and Kobe's like, no, you're not. You're gonna come with me to the gym. And then, you know, fast forward to this year uh, in Detroit, uh, Julius did the same thing. As soon as he landed, he hit like he hit up a, a middle school gym, and that middle school gym was like, you know what? The last person to do this was Kobe Bryant. So Julius Randle, you know, has taken that to heart, and he has that mama mentality in him now, uh, and it's rubbing off on his teammates. I mean, R.J. Barrett has that mama mentality. You see him; he's the closer now. This guy. Everyone was looking for a closer for the Knicks. They they were having a lot of close fourth quarter games where they were dropping. RJ said, "You know what? That's me, Anthony Edwards. You want to put some disrespect on my name and say, you know what? We want him shooting that last shot. Now in the fourth quarter, give him the ball. Let him do what he wants. You know, it's rubbed off on Reggie Bullock. It's rubbed off on Derrick Rose. Gosh, who's having a resurgence? Guys had almost twenty points in in, in several games now. Emmanuel quickly pulls up. Obi Toppin. Obi." The man who has no confidence in his game right now was was pulling up from three, having a good time. This team. That's what I uh, like. Honestly, that's why I knew it was bullshit, bro. When I started seeing Opie Toppin hitting three threes in a row, like a career twenty eight percent three point shooter, career twenty eight percent. Anyway, bad. Continues. He looks flustered out there. He always looks flustered out there. And this game, he he got it. He he knew he got his confidence back. This team. You know, the mantra here is big 15, you know, not big two, big three. It's big 15. Everyone deep, you know, everyone comes on, they do their thing. And as of this recording, they still have nine games in a row and they're playing Phoenix tonight and hoping that goes to 10. But this team has put a lot of people on notice. You know, the Knicks are are, are back and, uh, you know, fourth seed right now. And hopefully they can keep that, you know, home court advantage in the first round. That would be incredible. Uh, so from my end, that's the Knicks. They're they're going streaking right now. It's a beautiful thing to watch. Uh, Their games are are very fun to watch. The garden is rocking. uh, And I just love that it was at the expense of the Raptors. As I said, it's personal with me. I love it. You know, the season series is over. It's the first time the Knicks have won a season series against the Raptors in who knows how long. Uh, So I'm I'm going to let that bask up for a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's been a while since you had that. So I'm not going to be petty and, and knock you down on that. But... Uh, just to echo from the fun standpoint, to sum it all up, like the Saturday game was quite fun to say the least, for at least for me for three and a half quarters. Classic ESPN weekend day game, can't complain, you know, but now it was evident that the bench production to me from the outside looking in was ultimately the difference maker in the game. As as you know, the Knicks outscored the Raptors 45 to 11 with D. Rosley in the charge, scoring 19 out of the 45 bench points. I mean, if you're expecting to to win, knowing that there's a, a massive gap between bench scoring on both teams, it's a big deal. And then to add on top of that, I'll have to admit, Julius Randle was playing out of his goddamn mind, making tough shot after tough shot on a strong defender in OG Ananobi. But even despite all of that, the Raptors still had a chance to win that game. Which leads to my main source of disappointment and disgust, which is the so-called spicy P Pascal Siakam. So I'm spicy supposed P, to sit it. here. I'm supposed to sit here and 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 surround myself with folks serenading a professional male athlete 
whose nickname is to. Spicy P. <laughs> get him, get him. All right. That may be harsh, as he had a good stat line, though, for the most part of the game. But everyone knows that intangibles are what makes a player a star, a.k.a. a go-to option. We already saw the debacle of that double dribble in the last contest with the Knicks. And then this game, not only does he bomb three consecutive layups in which I messaged you in my complete utter disgust seeing that happen in the fourth quarter. On top of all that, he turned the ball over three more times in the clutch to ultimately slam the door of any comeback thereof. I said before, Pascal Siakam cannot be a Batman. I think we already agreed upon that. So thus, he was a Robin, as I mentioned before. Now, I can't even call him a Robin. I think he's an Alfred at this point. Out of pocket for that shit. Like, the dude oh, can't wow. handle any kind of adversity. Okay, maybe I'm a little bit too harsh on that point. I'm, I'm half joking there. But anyways, I came to an agreement, long story short, that Pascal Siakam cannot be a number one option at this point. He's basically a number two option, kind of similar to what Paul George is as his role with the Clippers. Another team... So what do they, what sorry, do they do now? What do they do now? What, what, what kind of direction does the, do the Raptors have now? They're kind of on the outside looking in. Who do they build around? What's, what's next for this team post-championship? It's either they draft a high-quality pick if they were to go ahead and tank. If not, if there's some way they can figure out a way to develop a guy like OG Ananobi. I've seen flashes of it where he could be that automatic two-way player, but I guess his his offense is starting to catch up with his defense now because he came into the league being above-average defender, and now his offensive game is starting to develop a little bit. And he's still young. I think he's about 23. Like, he's still a young cat. So I think now it comes to the point where he's about to have a prominent role in the team. I feel like he's had his fair share of hitting clutch shots, i.e. Game 3 of last year, semifinals against the Boston Celtics. You know, he doesn't fear the moment. He doesn't cost the game with, with his untimely turnovers, whatever the case may be. So he could be an option, but... Again, I don't know if the Raptors are looking to kind of go younger and just use OG and Inobi as a complementary piece over that uh, young draft pick that they're looking to build as part of the future. Again, we're going to have to see how things unfold. However, getting back to that, another thing that I came to terms with is the fact that this golden era that the Raptors have gone through is coming to a close. Seeing them rise from the ashes in 2014, right? Playing against the Brooklyn Nets as the baby Raptors, baby Dinos, as Shining Sharp calls it. And then peaking in 2019 to win it all. And again, I'm forever grateful in this regard. And I guess if it's time to go hit the lotto, I'm ready to win, you know? Winner, Ganyo. Congrats on your playoff berth, man. It's quite a while. And good luck to the Knicks. I mean, they're a fun team. I can't lie. Like, just watching them on the weekend, uh, I can see why you have excitement watching them play. They kind of remind me of like the fun I had watching Lowry and Demar coming out of the woodworks, and you know being that top four team in the East. So you know, kudos to you, and uh, hopefully you get to enjoy that. Hopefully it's not going to be uh, a shortcoming, but who knows? We'll see. It's probably sky's the limit for this team. We'll see. Oh, okay, so so unbiased opinion. Where do you see the Knicks season ending? Where do you, what seed do you think they get? Who do you think they play? I know we're going to get a little bit ahead of our, ourselves with you know, playoff predictions, but uh, what's, what's their ceiling? What's their floor? I have, I have my idea, but I'll let you go first. I think they stay at the fourth seed. As hot as the Atlanta Hawks has been, I still think that New York 
is probably going to uh, keep the momentum going. They may not be able to extend the streak probably in the near future, but I still think they'll I think they'll do enough to hold on to the fourth seed and secure home home court advantage in Madison Square Garden. As for how far they'll go into playoffs, I mean, if, if, if they're on the 4-5 matchup against Atlanta, that's going to be a very exciting series, to say the least. Both, you know, Trey Young uh, and Julius Randle going head-to-head. Like, that's going to be a fun one to watch. As for results, I could see them potentially winning the first round and then probably getting bounced out in a tight second round to whoever they're playing, whether it would be Brooklyn or Philadelphia. But uh, I think the, the ceiling would be semis for them to... To, to get through so i'd say probably semis i think uh i think their ceiling is the eastern conference finals i think if they nab that four or five seed uh you know in their play atlanta or they play boston or one of these teams that kind of you know isn't necessarily a, a an eastern conference stalwart and then in the second round man listen you know if they get a team like it'd probably be philadelphia or 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 brooklyn uh if they get brooklyn Probably not going to get to the Eastern Conference Finals. I mean, but I mean, they're going to punch Brooklyn in the face. I mean, I think the NBA wants Knicks and Nets because the Nets are going to be broken going into those next couple series. But I don't think the Knicks get past them, although they have played a bunch of close games, but they haven't been 100 percent firepower Um, against Philly, though. I mean, you know, listen, good defensive team, you know, good three point shooters. The Knicks also good defensive team uh, can defend the three very well. You know what? I I, I wouldn't put it past it if they push Philadelphia to the limit uh, and, and you know and get to the uh, get to the East Finals. I would love to see them play Milwaukee because after seeing Milwaukee lose to Atlanta last night without Trey Young, I have my uh, reservations about how far Milwaukee can go. But Milwaukee's kind of entrenched there at the three seed right now. It doesn't look like uh, they're gonna they're gonna head up. So unless the Knicks play them in the first round, they're you know they're not gonna they're not gonna see them. So you know, hopeless optimistic in me. What regardless of what the outcome of this season is for this team it's only good news when you have a team now that has a winning culture uh, a winning coach uh you know a, an all-star possibly an all-nba player in julius Randle, who in some people is in the mvp discussion when when you have a guy like that and you have a guy like rj bear and you have other complimentary young pieces uh you know derrick rose there now people Free agents, you know, and and draft and uh, trade targets will kind of look and say like, okay, New York might be a good destination now. Like Leon Rose is there; he's a he's a players guy. He's an agent turned, uh, you know, front office official. Now it looks a little more, you know, palatable for for a guy to be like, let me go to New York. Let me, you know, Lonzo Ball. Let, let, let me sign with New York. Okay, now they got a couple pieces. Boom, boom, boom. Let's move it around. Let's see who else we can get. Who else we can lure? Uh, I think this. You know, this is the the what the NBA needs. The NBA needs as as much as the media loves to just completely clown on the Knicks for the as they have for the last decade or so. The NBA needs this because it's fun, man. Knicks fan, I don't know if you've seen videos of Knicks fans outside of MSG looking like they just won the championship after winning a game. That's every yeah. game. That's eighty two games. You know what I'm saying? We need that. That's what we need. It's it's fun. It's beautiful to see. And you know what? The Garden is a magical place. They call it the Mecca for a reason, man. And hey, the Knicks haven't lost during Ramadan. So, I mean, let's let's also put it to that. You know, maybe our, our fasts and our prayers are being answered here. So, uh, hopefully they go all 30 days with uh, without a loss and uh yeah, it's just it's so fun to watch, man. I'm I'm just I'm I'm over the moon right now. 
Yeah, I bet. So that that will definitely add dividends to this crazy, crazy Eastern Conference race right now uh, with the four or five seed. You know, right now they're tied. So we'll see. We'll see how things go on that piece. But let's head on over to our next topic. Let's talk about the chef himself. Steph Curry has been on an absolute tear, averaging 39 points per game and shooting 48% from three in the last 11 games and now propelled himself into the MVP conversation. He has the Warriors now currently standing in the final playing spot in the West at 10th seed. Despite his two MVP seasons, is this the best Steph Curry we've seen? Personally, for me, I believe that anything Steph Curry does will always amaze us. Like back in his first MVP season, back in what 2015, where we were all in awe of his crazy shot selection and makes at such an efficient rate, right? Like it was... His game was so foreign to us and at the NBA at that particular moment in time. And now it's become a norm. It's been a revolution now where everybody's chucking up threes at half court. You see Damian Lillard, you see Trey Young and others. Same goes with the following season in 2016 where he's consistently shattered his own three-point records and has now led, at that point, the Warriors to a 73-9 record. Obviously only losing to LeBron in seven games, but that's another story for another day. The current tear he is on now is something that we have not seen before from Steph as he's averaging like damn near 40 points on such a subpar team trying to keep them afloat in the behemoth of the Western Conference. So basically to wrap it all up, I'd probably say that this is definitely the best Steph Curry we've seen yet, but also because there isn't any other option on offense who can take some of that load away from him. He probably had this whole ordeal in his arsenal for a while, but playing with high-octane players such as Clay Thompson and KD in years past restricts him from doing so. But I totally love seeing him ball and boy, like Steph Curry in a playing tournament. Lord have mercy what we're about to witness. So I'm really looking forward to that. How about you? Yeah, I don't don't know if this is the best Steph Curry we've seen, but this is definitely the most dangerous Steph Curry we've seen. MVP Steph Curry you know, wasn't necessarily just kind of chucking it up, right? As 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 kind of blasphemous as that sounds. No, he was actually very, uh, you know, strategic with the three-point shooting. And you saw him get to the lane a lot more. His floaters, his scoop layups, uh, his skip passes. That was MVP Curry. This Curry, I feel like he's just at the point of his career where he's like, I don't care anymore. You know, my boy Clay's been gone for two years. I'm with a bunch of, you know, kind of ragtag guys. Like, I'm going to show people I'm one of the best NBA players of all time. Yesterday, he had a heave from about half court with the buzzer, you know, with the shot clock going down. Pure money. Like, the sound of that swish is like the sound that we yearn for as basketball players. And and it was nothing to him. He's he's pulling up just super dangerously. He's He's dancing on them at half court he might be the reason we implement a four-point line because at this point he's you know he just keeps evolving the game of basketball and heaving it and heaving it and this is dangerous because he's he's a he's a madman now he's angry uh you know for the disrespect he gets for not being in the mvp conversation uh for you know people kind of downplaying how well the warriors are going to be without clay and forgetting that Steph Curry is the best shooter of all time and one of the best basketball players to ever live, now he has a vendetta, and this is the most dangerous Steph Curry. If I'm in a Western Conference uh, team right now and you know I'm looking at that play-in tournament, I do not want to play the Warriors. The Warriors can win two in a row. The Warriors can win two in a row just on Steph Curry alone. Uh, mind you, uh, Wiggins is having a good year. 
Uh, Ubre's doing all right. You know, Draymond Green, have you, you've seen the Draymond stat lines, two points, but like 12 rebounds, 12 assists, you know, 12, like that's Draymond for you. I don't want to see this team in the playoffs if I'm a Western Conference team because Steph Curry in, in April, May, you know, we, we talk about uh, zero dark 30 for, uh, for LeBron James. Steph Curry is, is on a whole other level too. So this is the most dangerous Steph Curry we've seen. And I think next year when Klay Thompson's back, Oh my goodness! This team's an automatic championship contender. Problem. Uh, assuming Clay's healthy enough to kind of come back and you know regain form, they're going to be a problem. And you know they have room to maneuver and get some new guys and trade some assets here and there. So this is the most dangerous Steph Curry I've ever seen, and I I like it. He's not soft, man. He's he's hard nosed. He's he's coming for blood, man. I tell you, Steph Rambo. Yeah. Well, I mean, when it comes to that. Though I think the reason why Steph Curry is dangerous as well is because the ball is always in his hands, right? Like he's he's taking all the shots that the team is expecting him to take in order to propel them to the position that they are in right now. Whereas if they had Clay Thompson, for example, I feel like we'll probably see a less dangerous stuff, but still lethal, right? He'll still be able to play at a high level that he always has, but we won't see the tear that he's on. So that's why I feel like you know, with the injuries that came as a shortcoming of the Warriors organization, ultimately displayed the world as to how lethal Steph Curry could be if he was the, you know, de facto number one option on the team. So, you know, with him and Klay Thompson, you know, both of those guys can get hot at any given time. We've seen Klay Thompson drop 60 points on 12 dribbles, right? Because it's 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 based off the facilitation of Steph Curry. So, uh, just getting back to like the tear that he's been on, like I never seen anything like it, and you just see a completely different Steph Curry. Like you're seeing him barking at refs, like a guy that's very humble after every shot, you know, praying to God after hitting every three, every free throw, even every shot attempt that he misses, like you know. But you know, seeing him bark at the ref, you know, it's a scary sight to see, man. Like seeing an aggressive Steph Curry. I don't know, man. Like when you're looking at Steph Curry and the Golden State Warriors being the tenth overall in the West. Currently, if I was the Portland Trailblazers at 7th and the Memphis Grizzlies at 8th, I would be absolutely terrified. Like, when it terrified. comes to the playing tournament, I got to win that 7-8 game. I have to win that game. I do not want to see Steph Curry, right? So I feel like uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be it's gonna get real interesting to see what Steph Curry can do. Obviously, he missed the opportunity in the bubble to experience that. I feel like he's going he's gonna to take his anger out in the NBA and we'll see where things go with this hot tear. Oh man, you love you love to see uh, an angry Steph Curry. He shed that baby face look, and he's coming. He's coming for it, man. Golly, the West, watch out, watch out. Yeah, man, absolute box office. But heading to our next topic, speaking of playing tournaments, there's a team that has made its presence felt, and that is the surging hot Washington Wizards, winning eight in a row to propel themselves into the final playing tournament in the East. Russell Westbrook and Bradley Beal has putting absolutely video game numbers as they try to hold on to the spot with 15 games left in the regular season. Do you think the Wizards have what it takes to hold on to the play-in spot? And where do you see them going from there? So Yazan, I'll kick that over to you. Yeah, this uh this Eastern Conference play-in tournament is a is a disaster. I mean just you know you have teams who should be better, you have teams that should not be this good and you really could not have seen this guy. Who could? Who would have thought that after the Bulls traded for Nikola Vucevic that they'd be on the outside looking in right now? And who would have thought that the Washington Wizards, who, I mean, have no chemistry kind of outside of 
uh, Beal and, and Wall don't have any discernible names uh, to mention, and here they are surging. They, you know, they have the the second longest streak here uh, behind the Knicks at eight in a row. And gosh, yeah, Russell Westbrook's putting up he's putting up two K numbers, putting up triple doubles, like he's always done. Uh, people, his, you know, his his demise was greatly exaggerated. He's he's just as you know, a much of a stat stuffer as he always was. And, and Beal, 31.1 points a game, one of the leading scorers in the NBA. Uh, he's benefiting from it. They're both healthy. They're both playing well right now. And they kind of snuck in there. Do they keep it, though? I mean, listen, it's getting to that point in the in the NBA season where, like, every game counts. And, you know, just because you're here now doesn't mean this is where you're going to be. Uh, I do expect the Bulls, once Zach Levine is back from, I believe, COVID protocols, to try and contest for that because you don't trade two first round picks to not make the playoffs in a play in tournament scenario. Um, and the Raptors, of course, you know, I still think that they're going to, they're going to compete. They're going to push. I don't think that they're going to, you know, call it a day either. Uh, Indiana's falling down there too. So uh, can Washington keep it? I think they can keep that 10 spot, but it's going to be hard to fend off those bulls too, uh, assuming that they can kind of get the chemistry together. Yeah, no kidding. And, you know, getting back to Westbrook's play, I've been a, an avid critic of Russell Westbrook uh, with regards to his shot selections and his inability to recognize when to stop shooting when you're a career 30% shooter. And when you're looking at this streak that they're on, you notice that not only is he taking less threes, I think he's averaging two threes per game. And in addition to that... You know, he's shooting at a very high clip. Like last game, he had, you know, I think a a near triple-double, but shooting 8 of 12, which most of them come from mid-range shots or attacking the paint. And that's where Westbrook excels at. And I'm kind of glad that he was able to recognize that those are his strengths and not to be able to force-feed the three. Let Bradley Beal do it. That's a specialty, right? He's the ultimate three-point specialist, right? Just let him take those shots. And... Just getting back to all this, I'm just going to keep it short and sweet here. The Wizards' winning streak is awfully cute to say the least, but I can probably label this as a quote-unquote fake comeback. Biases aside, you know, out of the Raptors, Wizards, and Bulls, personally for me, I'm, I'm, I'm aligned with you in this case. i much rather see the Bulls make the dance only because they have the personnel to make these games fun and competitive. I feel that the way Westbrook and Beal are playing right now isn't going to be sustainable, especially down the stretch when you, you see how aggressive the NBA schedule is or has been this season. You're asking for heavy legs and fatigue and may even be worse, injuries, right? So with that being said, I'm hoping Zach Levine can find his way to get back on the team as soon as possible and try to see what they can do to make it because I feel like the Bulls are a much better matchup and makes it a much more exciting factor when it comes to the playing tournament. So I'm just going to kind of leave it at that. Yeah, I mean, you know, Russell, I mean, lately, during this during his winning streak, he's been shooting uh, over 40% in, in most of his games. I think only maybe about one or two games uh, was he sub 40%, which is kind of unheard of because Russell Westbrook is known for, for chucking. Uh, he's known for going nine for 25 and, you know, those kind of games. And he he'll, he's still averaging a triple-double, but on kind of you know 30 attempts which which is not sustainable but now it looks like you know he's he's kind of tapered off a little bit taking more effective shots 
a passing to Brad Beal because Brad Beal's an all-star. He's he's one of the best players in the NBA as well and the the leading scorer in the NBA. So uh, is this an aberration? It could be. It could be them just getting hot now and then, you know, there's still some games to go and, you know, they haven't locked up anything yet. They're two games up right now on the Raptors and the Bulls. Two games is not a lot uh, in in the NBA. Uh, You know, that can change in an instant. So if Zach Levine can get back, they'll make it competitive. And yeah, you know, you would like to see the Bulls finally make the playoffs after so long. And especially because they have like probably all around more talented team with uh, Markinen and Vucevic and Kobe White and guys like that. But yeah, I mean, can, you know, does Russell Westbrook's uh, veteran savvy hold off those, those Bulls? He could. Yeah. Do they, do they get eliminated probably in that play in game? Probably right away, yeah. I think you know Russell Westbrook probably you know realizes it's it's on him, and he kind of goes, uh, he shoots thirty percent, you know, chucks up about thirty thirty five shots. So how how far they can go? Not that far, but it is a cool story to see that a team that was left for dead probably three weeks ago is now in the play in tournament. Yeah, I'm not trying to see the Wizards in the play in tournament. To be honest, imagine they're slotted in a nine ten matchup against Indiana, like. Sabonis is gonna feast like woof. You got Sabonis, and then you got you know defensive-minded guards and like Malcolm Brogdon and a few others that can like obviously not stop Bradley Beal or Russell Westbrook, but at least try to slow them down. And you know having some of the the firepower and you know Karis LeVert and and a few others that can shoot the ball. Like I mean, I'm not trying to see that. I'd rather just see the Bulls uh, go at it with the Pacers, where you got you know a big man matchup in Vucevic versus Sabonis. Which you know were the two guys who were the finalists in the in the skills challenge in the All Star game a few months ago. So that's that's kind of the matchup I want to see. And you see Karis LeVert versus Zach Levine, and and like I said, you know when it comes to the Bulls versus the Washington Wizards, the difference here is depth, right? The Bulls have guys off the bench that can that can score, that can create their own shot. Where the case may be, you got Markinen, you got Kobe White, you got you know um, you got a bunch of guys, right? And when you look at the Wizards. They lost a rookie to injury, right? And you got guys like Gafford. Like, I mean, he's he's not that guy, right? Like, he could – if you look at it right now, he's probably the third-best player on the team. When you compare the third-best player on the team to what the Bulls have as a third-best player of the team, it, it, it just doesn't cut it for me, to be honest. So that's why I want to see the Bulls there. Yeah, you want to see Zach Levine, man. Zach Levine is exciting. I want to see more of Zach Levine, you know? This is yeah, that, that's Zach. what the trade was for. Playoff Zach. I want to see, I want to see what it looks like. Is he, is, is he for real? I want to see it. Yeah, I guess time will tell. We'll see what this next 15 games will reveal. So that ends off run that. Let's head on over to AO moment of the week. AO, what the f***? Man, I must say, I picked the best games of the week because my AO moment of the week goes to something that I have never before seen, being a fan of the NBA for over 20 years. And this is regarding the matchup between the 76ers and the Suns, where the Sixers were down three with two seconds left. And Chris Paul of the Phoenix Suns was at the line shooting his last free throw to try to get it to a four-point game and ice the deal. However, he ends up missing the shot. And as that happens, Joel Embiid charges for the rebound and launches the ball in forward motion with his right arm from their own paint. I'm talking 80 feet like he's Carlton Banks at Beller Academy. And the ball hits the backboard and rolls in and out to end the game. I could not believe what I just witnessed because if he had made that shot, it would be frankly one of the greatest buzzer beater shots ever to be made. 
And it would have forced OT and given the Philadelphia 76ers a chance not only to win the game, but to close the gap on the Brooklyn Nets for the one seed. That was absolutely crazy. I don't know if you saw that, but that was absolutely nuts. I did, yeah. No, uh, and I saw the, uh, there was a side-by-side comparison with Joel Embiid, uh, you know, with his shot there and the Kawhi shot and like, you know, how he was on the wrong side of in and out twice now. Uh, and that, you know, those, that could be a finals matchup right there, man. And, and given how close that was, you picked a good one, man. That was a fun game to watch as prime time and Embiid, gosh, like, imagine, imagine that, imagine him hitting that. It would have been really cool to see. And it's funny that you, you picked that, that moment because my, uh, AO moment of the week is, is kind of similar. Uh, it was, it comes from Nikola Jokic, uh, against the Houston Rockets. They had just, I believe, shot a free throw, the Rockets, and then Jokic takes it out, one armed, just completely Brett Favre's this ball all the way down the court, opposite baseline to opposite baseline to PJ Dozier for the layup. Doesn't, you know how quarterback mechanics, you kind of have the, your, your, your opposite hand on the ball and then you throw it. No, this guy just held the ball one hand. And just flick the wrist all the way down the court. Jeez. That's ridiculous. This that shouldn't be possible in the NBA. You, you you know you have point guards who you know are known for like hitting those full court passes and you know those those drop passes where they kind of bounce halfway and then make it the other. No, this guy just took it one hand, heaved it completely, full wrist motion all the way to PJ Dozier. How can you defend that? Really, how can you defend that? How can you defend a guy that can throw the ball down the field like a quarterback throwing it to a wide receiver? No one was on Dozier. No one knew he was going to run that far because no one thinks that you're going to hit a pass like that. I saw Lonzo Ball do that as well earlier in the season, but to see it from Jokic, this guy wants that MVP, man. Like When you do stuff like that, you got to give him that award. Yeah, so do you think that if Joel Embiid were to hit that buzzer-beating shot, does that solidify his MVP considerations? (laughs) You know, it, it would help. I would say so. You know, like when when the big man has evolved to the point where they can hit a three quarter court three pointer to win the game. Yeah, you got to hand it to him, especially against a team like uh, like Phoenix. But uh, given that Philadelphia is ahead in the in the uh, in the rankings uh, compared to Denver, I'm still going to give my slight nod to Embiid for sure. And obviously, the impact that Joel Embiid has on both sides of the ball definitely pays dividends to his chances of winning the MVP as well. All right, so that does it for AMO of the week. Let's head on over to games of the week. I love this game! <laughs> so when I looked at the schedule, there were so many games this week to choose from. However, I'm down to two. I'm torn between two games on Wednesday, April 28th. I got the Red Hot Atlanta Hawks visiting the Philadelphia 76ers, as well as the Chicago Bulls versus the New York Knicks. If and only if Zach Levine is back. Philly had lost their number one spot to Brooklyn, as I mentioned this past week, and is looking to get back onto the winning column, but they got a tough challenge against Atlanta where Nate McMillan, man, like he's doing an outstanding job coaching these guys into the thick of the playoff race tied fourth with the Knicks, which leads to my other game. If Zach Levine plays, when I'm talking about the Bulls versus Knicks, if the standings stay the same and Atlanta stays hot, the Knicks got to take care of business, but will have their hands full if Zach Levine is back. Stars like that like to light it up in the garden, and he did that a while ago, I remember. I think it was like last year or two years ago, dropping 40, if I'm not mistaken. And also on top of that, the matchup possibilities are amazing. With Zach Levine 
squaring up with RJ Barrett and you got Julius Randle versus Vucevic. Either game, to be honest, between the Bulls, Knicks and Hawks 76ers, you'll be in for a treat. How about yours? On Friday, and it's actually the Utah Jazz versus the Phoenix Suns. We're going to talk about the Utah Jazz in a bit, but uh, top two teams in the West right now, not your typical top two teams, like not the teams that you would anticipate being uh, at the top of the Western Conference. You have two superstars uh, in Donovan Mitchell and Devin Booker. What? Bro, what are you talking about, man? Pete, superstars. Uh, going going at it. You have Rudy Gobert and, and DeAndre Ayton. Like, this is a really great matchup. Mike Conley and Chris Paul, like, these teams match up very, very well with one another, and I think that's the reason why they're both the top seeds in the West. Uh, and, you know, it would be surprising to see them both in the Western Conference Finals and not to see one of these LA teams, but uh, I wouldn't put it past uh, the Western Conference because this team, they have big threes, if you want to call them, uh, but more importantly, they have a lot of depth, too. Uh, you know, Bogdanovich in, in Utah and Crowder in, in Phoenix and Cam Johnson and Joe Ingles. So both of these teams have the pieces to make a deep run. Uh, and I, I'd love to see what they can do against each other. And, and to kind of switch the narrative on this whole, the L.A. teams dom- dominate the Western Conference. Like now you have two teams that are that are not the, the biggest markets in the NBA challenging for that Western Conference crown. So, you know, that's the game I want to see. Yeah, and they both shoot the three at such a high clip, so it should definitely be an entertaining one, that's for sure. All right, so let's head on over to Blog Boy Talk. So all your blog boys and fanboys that's going to use everything I say and create an article, watch a basketball game. How about you write that? So our first question on Blog Boy Talk is regarding the Portland Trailblazers. The Portland Trailblazers have lost... 9 out of their last 11, and is slipping down the Western Conference sitting at 7th. After trading for Norman Powell, the consensus was that Portland is going all-in by bringing in a guy that can average nearly 20 a game. However, this has not been the case, and Damian Lillard has been ice-cold as of late. Can the Portland Trailblazers turn it around? So, yes, I'll kick that over to you. Uh, this is concerning. Uh, it's very concerning because, as you said, the, um, the Blazers are kind of all-in right now, especially with that Norm Powell deal. Uh, and, you know, their offseason maneuvering, getting, re-signing Carmelo Anthony and bringing back Ennis Cantor and signing Robert Covington and, and guys like that. So this team is built to compete now. Like, they want to compete now. They want to fight now. And, and gosh, they are ice cold. I know uh, Dame and, uh, and CJ haven't necessarily played a lot together uh, this season. You know, Dame is, uh, CJ has been out a lot uh, this year. But it's no, it's no excuse. These guys are both all-star caliber players, uh, and they should be able to, you know, keep the team afloat even if both of their stars aren't there. And they have enough complementary pieces to be able to do so. Like they're they're a deep team. They're two man deep pretty much at every position, which is kind of unheard of. Bringing in Norm Powell was obviously huge too. So the fact that they're struggling this bad, nine out of the last eleven. I mean, this episode is all about streaks, man. The Knicks streak, the Wizards streak. And now the Portland Trailblazers streak in the wrong direction. So it is concerning to be in that playing game. And like we said, man, if you get Steph Curry in that first round, all it takes is one game to to to, to lose. And if you're a 7-8 seed and you got to fight and play twice, and you if you play Steph in the first game or Steph in the second game, you're in trouble. Uh, so I, if I'm Portland, I'm going to see what I can do to change things and, and to you know right the ship and get to that sixth seed. Yeah, this is very concerning, like you mentioned. The Portland Trailblazers are too deep talent-wise to be in the position that they're in right now. And 
I feel like the more and more I watch the Portland Trailblazers, the more and more fraudulent I start to see them as a team because I don't know what it is. I try to look at to see if it's coaching or personnel or whatnot because to me, if you look at the team roster, it just doesn't make sense how they can go into such a slump. And I get it. It's the Western Conference. You probably hit a tough part of the schedule. It happens. But when you're playing against teams, no disrespect to the Memphis Grizzlies, but you know, just looking at the roster that you currently have constructed, you should be able to take some of those wins there, or at least have it a split on that season series there. And uh, various games in the past, you know, playing against the Denver Nuggets with no Jamal Murray, right? And losing such a tough effort because you have Dame Lillard. Obviously, he's known to hit, be hitting those deep shots. But if you're shooting 9 of 25 from the field, you got to try to find the hot hand. And I've seen games where Norm Powell would have the hot hand but wouldn't get any touches, or CJ McCollum, or uh, Yusuf Nurkic, right? They're like, you know, Damian Lillard, as great as he is, needs to recognize the fact that you can't be that guy every single game. And there's going to be games where, you know, your supporting cast will uh, come to save the day. And I feel like this is starting to spoil the Portland Trailblazers' success just a little bit. And on top of all that, I don't know if Terry Stott's game style and coaching style is starting to get stagnant a bit, right? He's been coaching on that on that team for quite a while now, almost a decade, if I'm not mistaken. And, you know, for a coach to be out there for that long and not have the success like other coaches have and still maintain their job, to me, is quite odd, to say the least. But I think it comes to a point where it's either going to be the player or the coaching staff. Damian Lillard has to, you know, be the leader that he is to ensure that everybody gets their fair share and to play as a team, not only offensively, but defensively as well. And for Terry Stoss as a coach to ensure that the proper players are set in the proper spots to succeed. And I feel like the combination of those two, if they were to be rectified, Portland will be good. I mean, they're too good to be in this position right now. And all they need to do is make some adjustments. But it all comes down to the leadership of Damian Lillard and the coaching of Terry Stotts. And maybe... Just maybe if they underachieve this year, we may not be able to see Terry Stotts as the coach of the Portland Trailblazers moving forward. Yeah, I mean, this is kind of like the what we're talking about with Russell Westbrook. Russell Westbrook, the, you know, the reason why they've been playing really well lately is because he's shooting at an efficient clip. Dame needs to understand that. Dame is 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 cold right now, and he shouldn't be shooting sub-30%. Like, you you have a lot of other players on this team that can hit shots. Carmelo Anthony can still hit shots. Uh, obviously, you have CJ McCollum, and you just brought in Norm Powell. So you need to learn how to defer because if, if you get cold – it's hard to get hot again, you know? Like, if, if you're in a cold streak and, and you're kind of in the abyss, it's kind of hard to get back. So uh, maybe they, he takes a, a lesson from Russell Westbrook right now and, and starts to shoot a little bit more efficiently and hopefully get their team back on the right track. Yeah, so again, Portland Trailblazers in the playoffs is always something exciting to watch, but I sure as hell hope they don't slip into the playing tournament. But how much content ability would it be if the Portland Trailblazers were to face off Steph and the Warriors in the play-in game that would be so funny oh man give me Steph and Dame one-on-one one One game to win oh my god that is primetime television just hook that in my veins without a doubt without a doubt all right let's head on over to our final question of Bob talk and that is Dwayne Wade joining in on the executive level as he is a minority stake owner in the Utah Jazz so what are your thoughts on that, and which player would you like to see have a stake in ownership with your squad? So my thoughts on this, I always like to see players 
start to build a business repertoire after their basketball career because we've seen time and time again basketball stars blowing money pretty fast and not being able to set themselves up for the future in terms of investments and whatever the case may be. And when you see guys like Shaq being that guy and taking you know ownership or at least part ownership with the Sacramento Kings, and then you see Michael Jordan with the Hornets, and you see Magic Johnson, who previously had a 4% stake in the Los Angeles Lakers, and then Grant Hill with Atlanta Hawks. It's nice to see, right? And, you know, seeing uh, some of the superstars today where I can see LeBron James being a future owner, that's a fact. He's a he's a businessman. He He's able to do his thing. And, you know, having Dwayne Wade being on that executive level and being on board is always nice to see, right? So with that being said, it's definitely an exciting situation for him and looking forward to seeing what he can do because I did remember reading that he wanted to be more of a hands-on owner. So I don't know if he's trying to look at being kind of a, a Michael Jordan type of lead where, you know, he gets the quote-unquote call of shots, but I don't see that being that he's a minority stake owner. But getting back to all that, you know, kudos to him for, you know, taking on the next level of his career not only being an NBA analyst, you know, during his off time with NBA on TNT, but also getting on the business level and uh, being a minority stakeholder of the Utah Jazz. So what are your thoughts on that? And then we can tackle on the second part of the question. Yeah, so this is very interesting. So I didn't know that there were only four current owners who are uh, former NBA players. And you, you listed them, Michael Jordan uh, with Charlotte, Shaq with Sacramento, Grant Hill with Atlanta, and now D-Way with um, Utah. I, surprising. You'd think that there'd be a lot more people who try to get into the ownership shake, uh, ownership stake and, and then to, uh, you know become businessmen from there. This is important for Utah. Utah, we've talked about Utah and their imaging, right? They have really poor imaging. We had LeBron James talk about, oh, I've yeah. always hated Utah, right? You have the fans there in Utah who've been kind of synonymous for being a little bit mm, racist, for lack of a better term. They have a bad image problem. They're the bad guys now. You know, you have Rudy Gobert, who everyone seems to blame for the COVID-19 pandemic, which is not his fault, but it's, it's just fun to pile on to him because he's the kind of was ignorant and obnoxious about it when it first happened. So, they have an imaging problem, and that's why I think D-Wade is going to do there is that he says, you know what, I want to be more hands-on. I want to be part of that culture. I want to be part of that branding, uh, and D-Wade's the guy to do it. I mean, he's had the shoe deals. He's uh, with Converse. He's been uh, you know, very successful in his NBA career, and now he's kind of you know, on, in, inside the NBA or he's on NBA on TNT. This is a good move for Utah. They need someone like this to kind of come in and say like, hey, we've got a cool hip owner kind of coming in and he can very much relate to the players the players need someone like that in ownership to relate to you know a lot of people were thinking you know why not miami but you know what you can't pick and choose when when you're kind of looking to buy stake in, in a team he got on with utah the same way with Shaq and sacramento Shaq destroyed sacramento for years straight and then he goes and ends up buying minority ownership in them you know so it, it's cool to see d wade be the guy to do it utah needs it utah needs an image overhaul and i think d wade's a guy for it yeah, that's actually a good thing you brought up the whole Shaq destroying Sacramento and then ending up getting a minority stake in it. My worry is that if LeBron James gets a part of the Toronto Raptors ownership, that would scare me. <laughs> to be he already has, honest with you, Toronto <laughs> is right there for the taking, man. He has the the imaging and and the branding right there, LeBronto. Like he already kind of owns part of uh, the Boston uh, Red Sox and now Liverpool as well. He's kind of in with that Fenway Group, so. Hey, man, yes. listen, if Toronto's selling, I want LeBron James to, to purchase a stake in it. I know for me, I think my ideal 
player that I would like to have a stake in the ownership with the Raptors would be ultimately Vince Carter. I know he's a very uh, business-oriented guy, especially post-career. You know, he has, you know, a bunch of restaurants, or I guess he had his own restaurant that he established. And, you know, now he's back in the media scene. And I don't know what kind of net worth he's on right now, but if there's an opportunity that he could be a minority stake owner, that would be all come full circle. You know, being the guy that was drafted, you know, with the franchise, put them on the map. There was a bit of turmoil, but, you know, all is forgiven. And the fact that he's able to come in and be a part of the executive membership would definitely be something that would be nice to see. Uh, But how about you from a Knicks side? Obviously, mind you, if James Dolan were to break off a piece of the ownership, who who do you like Uh, to see take that? Yeah, if he ever decided to do that, which it looks like he's going to take this team to the grave with him. Um, You know, I'd love anyone to buy this team. I'd love, I'd love you to buy this team. I'd love, you know, whoever wants, whoever wants it, takes it. Game point pod. (laughs) Game point pod. Listen, we're, we're going to start a GoFundMe to buy the Knicks. Uh, I, I I will launch it and we will, we will make it happen. But uh, in in all seriousness, no, obviously it has to be a, a conglomerate to be able to afford that team. But if one NBA player was to, uh, to get, in on that, I'd like Chris Paul to be the guy. Uh, not a former Nick, but he has connections with Leon Rose, his former agent. Uh, he's a former, um, I think he might be the current uh, NBA PA president. Uh, so he's, he's very much well-versed in the NBA, everything that goes on in the NBA. Uh, he understands the players. He's a player's player. He's a captain. You've seen the Chris Paul effect. We've seen the Chris Paul effect on the court. I want to see what the Chris Paul effect is off the court, you know, in, an, in, an, in yes. a leadership role. Uh, in a coaching role, but I'd, I'd like him to be an owner because uh, you know he probably has the money. You know he has those State Farm commercials. Him and his you know evil twin brother uh, both you know raking it. So I, I'd like to see Chris Paul if he ever got into you know purchasing an NBA team. Obviously, he has to join forces with super mega billionaires like Diddy and you know I don't know Jeff Bezos. Holla, you know if you want to buy the Knicks and make them the New York Amazons fine by me i don't care but uh cp3 i'd like him for it to be involved yeah that's a good one i can definitely be uh, see him being a leader on and off the court obviously with the experience of being the president of the nba players association i could see him taking some of those traits and you know sitting on a, an executive board uh, as a minority stake owner of the new york knicks which would be definitely something to see so yeah kudos to Dwayne wade and hopefully we start to see a trend of you know current stars that we watch and, and enjoy take on that role post-retirement so looking forward to that yeah but i mean hey you, you're playing the knicks tonight so let's let's pause that talk right now you're not going to own them tonight you can own them in the future but not tonight <laughs> oh we shall see anyways that wraps up blog boy talk and that wraps up our episode thanks for tuning in don't forget to like, subscribe to our podcast, Game Point Pod on IG and GamePointPod Point Pod underscore on Twitter. We are both on Spotify and Apple platforms as well as Google Podcast. Add review if you can. That'll be greatly appreciated. Is there anything like to add, Yasin, before we take off? No, man. This is uh, We want to see you guys be more involved, and we're going to do a live at some point soon before the playoffs start. Get you guys. Let's hear from you guys while, uh, while the iron's hot, you know, and, and, and to see... If you guys think we're crazy in in some of our uh, predictions, I know I'm probably straddling that line a little bit. So, uh, yeah, like, subscribe, share, do all that good stuff. Leave a review, do all that. Uh, Tell your friend, tell your mama, tell your grandmama. So keep supporting us and let's do our thing. Perfect. Beautifully said. With that being said, we'll end it off. That's game.